Yeah, on behalf of Amber and I, let me say Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Can I tell you about one of my least Merry Christmases? Like one of the worst Christmases I ever had? The year was 1986. I was six years old, and in the middle of the Sueza household sat the oldest, ugliest console TV you've ever seen in your life. It's a little bit like the one that's on the screen behind me. Does anybody remember these TVs? Either you're old or you were poor like me. One of the two. (laughs) Now look, I had a lot of issues with this TV, but the thing that I hated the most about it is that this TV had no remote control. (laughs) Actually, that's not entirely true. I was the remote control. When my dad was watching TV and he wanted the channel change, he said, Danny, get up and go change the channel to eight. And then, no, I don't want to watch that. Change it to 12, you know? I was the remote control. So it was so frustrating. I hated this TV for a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, this TV, if you remember, when you turn the knobs, it would go chunk, 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 chunk. Some of you guys, you, you haven't lived until you've turned one of these TV knobs. Anyway, anyway, 1986, Christmas season, my dad says, you know what? It's time we get a new TV. We're going to buy a new TV as the family Christmas present. So I was stoked, you guys. I was so happy. I was counting down the days until I didn't have to be the remote control anymore. This was, We didn't have the word bougie back in 86, but if we did, I would have said, oh, we are going to be so bougie after we get a TV with a remote control. This was lifestyles of the rich and famous level technology for me. So Christmas morning, I do what kids do. I woke up and I was so excited, ran into the living room and right there in the place it always was is that ugly old console TV. And I'm frustrated and confused. My dad has lied to me. And then it occurred to me, oh, it's a Christmas yet. The new TV is going to be in a box under the tree. So I turned to the tree in great anticipation, and there is not a box big enough to hold a TV under the tree. So now I'm really getting upset, and at that moment, my dad and stepmom walk in, and I hit them straight away. Like, there are all these gifts under the tree that have my name on it, okay? But I'm not concerned with any of those. The second they walk in the room, I say, are we getting a new TV or not? (laughs) My dad says, actually, we got something even better. So he walks my sister and I out the front door onto the front yard and sitting in the driveway is a brand new shiny car. My dad is so proud of this car. You can tell he loves it. This is his pride and joy. And as a six-year-old boy, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what good is a car going to do me? I can't drive. 10 more years before I get to drive this thing. I wanted a TV. I don't want to be the remote control anymore. Do you know it was two more years before they finally replaced that TV? I have not gotten over the disappointment of Christmas 86. I still carry it with me. This is what my therapist and I are going to talk about in our next session. (laughs) Hey, Christmas is the season of giving and receiving gifts. And sometimes you get exactly what you want. And other times you get a new car. In the book of Isaiah, chapter number nine, verse six, we have one of the most famous passages about Christmas in the entire Bible. It's Old Testament. It's actually before the birth of Christ. We'll talk about that. But this passage contains some of the most famous wording. You've heard these words before. We have sung them together. And what's really interesting is embedded within these two short verses are four gifts that God makes available to us through Jesus. Four gifts that God wants you to have and experience and unwrap and carry with you this Christmas season. Let me show you what these four gifts are. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about them. The good news about these gifts, by the way, is that while many times our friends and family struggle to get us the perfect gift, either it's like not something 
something we really wanted or it doesn't fit and we need the gift receipt or whatever. These are four gifts that no matter who you are, what you're experiencing in life right now, if you were to actually embrace them, if you were to have them in your life, it would transform not only your Christmas season, but all of 2024 and hey, even the rest of your life. Isaiah chapter number nine, verses six and seven. I'm only going to read two verses for you today. The scripture says this, for unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. And here are the four phrases we're going to focus on this morning. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And Isaiah goes on to say about the Messiah of Jesus, of the increase of his rule and peace, there will be no end. All right, let me give you a little bit of context before we dig into these exact words and phrases, okay? Isaiah was a guy who lived 700 years before Jesus. So he's ancient. He was ancient when Jesus finally showed up, okay? He lived a long, long time ago, and he lived in incredibly chaotic and turbulent times. In fact, his country, the nation of Israel, was under attack from a neighboring nation, and frankly, it was pretty apparent that they were going to lose. The, the tide was turning. It seemed like there was nothing that they could do in order to win Israel, his country, Isaiah's country is going to be conquered. The people are going to be exiled. Things are really, really bad in Isaiah's day. Now, my guess is you've probably never been in this exact situation. I get that. However, I would bet there are parts of your life that feel like a battle right now. There are aspects of your existence that just feel like life is crushing you. It's pressing you. You've got hurdles and problems and you don't see a path forward and you need answers or you need resources. And you're just like, ah, life can feel like a battle. It might be that you and your kids feel like you're at war right now in this season of their development. They're constantly battling against you. Yeah, I got, I got one amen over here. Luckily his kid's upstairs. Um, <laughs> and I got a second. Can I get a third? Um, hey, it could be that you've recently received a health diagnosis and it threatens your well-being. Your sense of, of, of health and, and, and the future, you're, you're very worried about that. It could be that your job is difficult or unfulfilling. Life just has a way of being chaotic and full of upheaval, doesn't it? No matter who you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, regardless of your circumstances, life always seems like it's in flux and we can never kind of get it to just settle down. Or if it does settle down, it's rare. We sing silent night there are no silent nights. Okay. Even the night of Jesus that he was born, it wasn't really that silent, but anyway, life always seems to be in some form of upheaval, but here's some good news. When life is collapsing, God is still speaking. Amen. When your life feels like it's in a shambles, when it feels like everything, like everything is going wrong and you have no clue how to move forward. You don't have what you need. You don't even know what you need. When you are in these circumstances, I can guarantee you God is still speaking in the middle of those tough times. Why? Because God's word is his response to our chaos. In Genesis chapter number one, we can show you this throughout the scripture. Genesis chapter number one, the scripture says that the darkness was hovering over the void. The chaos was above the waters, as some translations say. And what did God do? 
He spoke and light separated from darkness and land separated from water. In the New Testament, Jesus and the disciples are on this boat together and they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. This massive storm pops up and it threatens to capsize the boat and drown Jesus and all of his disciples. So what does Christ do? Row harder, guys. No, he speaks and the wind and the waves calm down. Time and again, God's word is the answer to our worry. God is speaking even when it feels like life is collapsing. This is why so many people, and I, listen, I'm guilty of this too, okay? I'm no better than anybody else in the room. When life gets hard, when things go off the rails, when it feels like everything is collapsing around us, our first recourse is usually to worry, freak out, anxiety, and fear. Why is this happening? And where is God in any of this? Like, I can't see God right now. Maybe you're not supposed to be looking for God, but you should be listening for God. It could be that what he's trying to communicate to you is not something visible, but it's something audible. You will hear his voice. You will hear his word. God is always speaking regardless of whether or not life is going well for us. Uh, Isaiah experienced this himself. Life is falling apart. Country's collapsing. What are we going to do? And so in the middle of all of that chaos, God speaks. And he gives Isaiah, the Israelites, and really all of us a promise that he has not forgotten them. He has not forgotten us. He's not going to leave us alone in the middle of our hardship and chaos and turmoil and tumult. Instead, he's going to send the Messiah. And that Messiah, he describes him using four phrases. He says he's going to be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. Now, I told you there are four gifts that God wants to give you. And you might read those and say, well, those don't really sound like gifts to me. You're right. They are titles. They're descriptions of Jesus. And yet every single one of these characteristics, it implies a gift that God wants to give to us. Consider that first phrase there, wonderful counselor. How many of you guys know a good counselor is a great thing? Amen. Whether, it's, uh, whether it's a trained professional or a friend who happens to be a good listener. When you have somebody that you can turn to, to help you process life and make decisions, and there's somebody that's willing to even challenge you when you need to be challenged, that is a wonderful, wonderful gift. But human counsel is always limited in some way. People are going to give you their best advice, but it may not be the best advice. You following? They don't have all the answers. They can't see all the circumstances. They don't know all the details. And so even when people give you what they believe to be good advice, sometimes it turns out to not be so great advice. What we need then is wisdom that comes from a wonderful heavenly counselor. Wisdom that comes from somebody who knows it all. Wisdom from, who comes from some, that comes from somebody who sees how everything is going to turn out. He's able to separate the end from the beginning. He knows how your story is going to work out in my story and all of history. He's able to see how it's all going to culminate in the end. So he can, he can drive it. He can guide it. He can dictate. He can give us the advice and the guidance and the wisdom that we need to make the right decision. What we need is not just wisdom that sounds right. We need wisdom that actually is right. We don't need wisdom that sounds helpful. We need what is truly helpful. And Jesus is able to give that to us as our wonderful counselor. Matthew chapter number seven, verse 29. Jesus is teaching one time. And the crowds are amazed, the Bible says, at what he's teaching. And the reason they're amazed, you, they kind of give us, the scripture gives us an insight to what they're thinking. They say, no one has ever taught like this before. 
No one's ever said the things that Jesus says. You ever ask for advice from a friend? They give you a cliche. It's like, oh, everything is, it, it'll all work out in the end. Everything happens for a reason. God will never give you anything more than you can bear. You know, they give you a cliche. Jesus doesn't give us cliches. He gives us actual help. The, the same group of people, not only they say nobody's ever taught like this, they said the reason that they find him so compelling is because he taught as one who had real authority. He taught as somebody who actually knew what they were talking about. Uh, I'll let you know as a pastor, sometimes you guys come to me and ask me for advice and I'm like, God help, I have no clue what to tell these good folks. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. We can turn to him at any time. At any point we need help and advice and guidance. At any time we need wisdom, he is there to give it to us. In fact, James chapter number one, verse five says this. Listen to this verse. This is really cool. The scripture says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God for it because he gives wisdom generously to everyone without finding fault. It says again, if you ask, it will be given to you. Do you know, this is basically the only place in the scripture, one of the only places in which God guarantees a yes to our prayers. You can pray for a lot of stuff. You can ask God for anything you want. There's nothing preventing you from asking, but there's no guarantee God's going to say yes. You better believe I was praying, God, give me a new TV. He decided to say no in 86. Again, I'm still working through it. You can pray for anything. Doesn't mean God's going to say yes. And yet here in the scripture, God says, if you ask me for wisdom, I will give it to you. There's a king in the Old Testament. His name is Solomon. And uh, he's getting ready to lead the people. He's praying to God. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. God says, you know what, Solomon, I'm very pleased with you. I'll give you anything you want. If you could ask me for any one thing, what would it be? And Solomon says, God, would you give me wisdom to know how to lead all of these people? God's so impressed. He says, because you haven't asked me for a lot of wealth, because you haven't asked me for a long life, because you haven't asked me for a lot of fame and fortune, I'm going to give you wisdom and all the other things that you didn't ask for. God is willing to give us wisdom when we need guidance in life. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Not only does it say he's our wonderful counselor, Isaiah also calls him mighty God, mighty God. Now we're going to circle back to this idea in a moment that Jesus is actually God. We'll come back to it, I promise. But I want you to focus for just a moment on that word mighty mighty. He is our mighty God. The second gift that God offers to us through Christ is strength, power, confidence, might when we need it the most. My friends, Jesus is in control. When life feels like it is out of your control, that does not mean it is ever out of his control. He is sovereign and he is guiding and directing everything. You say, oh man, it feels like things are going real bad in the world. It's okay. He hasn't lost control of things. We're told in Isaiah 9, 6, that passage that we read just a moment ago, the government will be on his shoulders. Which is kind of weird because to us in English, when we hear the word government, we think politics and parliament, right? But when Isaiah was writing, the word that he uses here, it, it's so much more than that. The word, the idea of government being on his shoulders, it means the responsibility to govern the affairs of everything is his and his alone. That he'll carry that burden. You don't have to be in control of everything because there's somebody else who already is. Everything that exists is under Christ's control. That gives me so much comfort because again, it reminds me it's not out of control. I don't have to fight for control. All I need to do is trust my mighty God. The way that St. Paul puts it, uh, Colossians chapter number one, verse 17, he says this. He says, Christ existed before everything else. Indeed, he holds all of creation together. 
The reason that, it, that everything exists is because of Jesus. The reason that your body stays constituted and it doesn't just dissolve into a million little molecules, it's not because of electrochemical bonds. It is because of the sovereign decree of God that your atoms would stay together in that way. Christ is sovereign and in control over absolutely everything. The tiniest detail of your life to the biggest systems in the universe, Jesus is our mighty God. And when we call on him, he will give us the power that we need. What's really important to understand here is that uh, it's not that God or Christ gives me power. Now I have the power. No, I learn to rely on his strength. My weakness is made perfect, or his strength rather is made perfect in my weakness as the New Testament says. It is his strength that allows me to keep going when I feel like quitting. It is his strength, strength that helps me to keep my mouth shut when I want to open it and say something that's not going to be helpful. It is his strength that helps me to believe that everything is going to be okay because he is the mighty God who is powerful enough to see me through. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Isaiah calls him our eternal father. Now, father is a relational term. It speaks of family and identity and probably most importantly, love. Like a good father makes his children feel loved and protected and accepted. Not everybody has had the blessing of having a wonderful earthly father, but we know what one should be like. And a great earthly father is a reflection of our perfect heavenly father. Jesus identifies with our father. He is called the eternal or everlasting father. In Ephesians chapter number three, Paul says that Jesus loves us with the same love of the father in heaven. He prays in verse 19 that all Christians would experience the love of Christ, which is too great to fully understand. But if you do experience it, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Listen, if you're here this morning and you feel unloved, unwanted, unimportant. One of the great gifts of Christmas through Jesus is the knowledge that you have a father in heaven and he loves you every bit as much as he loves me. And he loves them every bit as much as he does us. And we are never alone. We are never without his presence and his care in our lives. He is our eternal father. Finally, God, he prophesies through Isaiah that Jesus will be our Prince of Peace, our Prince of Peace. Man, that's like such a very beautiful and poetic kind of phrase. In English, it sounds, it sounds very regal and stately. Like I'm just imagining an oil painting with some guy in a uniform. He's got a bunch of medals on his chest. He's like, I am the Prince of Peace. You know, just, it's like nice, but I don't know. Again, the way that Isaiah writes this in Hebrew, it is much more active than how it sounds in English. We, we use that phrase Prince of Peace because it's alliterative and it sounds kind of nice, but the way that Hebrew word ought to be translated or could be translated anyway is the bringer of peace. There's almost like a, a, a military or a managerial aspect to this. It's like Jesus is the general of peace. What it means is when there is peace that is needed, he will make it happen. That when life is in chaos and you're unable to bring about any calm, when you are freaking out because you don't know how to move forward and settle things down, you have someone who doesn't merely symbolize peace, he secures peace. 
I told you before, there are really three kinds of peace every person on the planet needs. If you have these three kinds of peace, you will be living like almost nobody else. First, everybody needs internal peace, internal peace. That's peace with yourself. Like learning to accept yourself, love yourself, let go of past mistakes, understanding that you are a beloved child of God created in his image, internal peace. Then there's external peace. External peace is relationships between us, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors who blast their music at 1.30 in the morning. We all need peace with the people that are around us. And then finally, there's spiritual peace. That's peace between us and God. Peace knowing that we are accepted. Peace knowing that our mistakes have been forgiven. Peace knowing that our future is secure, that God has already taken care of it for us. We all need internal peace, external peace, and spiritual peace. Jesus is the prince of peace, the general of peace, the securer and bringer of peace, whatever kind of peace it is that you might need in your life. Jesus is the one who's actually able to make it happen. He is our wonderful counselor. Our mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace. Like there is a lot of beauty and encouragement in those words. That's why these words have become almost synonymous with Christmas. I mean, we read them and hear them every single November and December. There's so much good in these verses, but you know what? There's also a little bit of irony too. Because let's not forget the prophecy that Isaiah makes is that it's a baby who's going to be born. And that baby is going to be wonderful counselor, eternal father, prince of peace, mighty God. Like, if you really think about that, that's kind of strange, isn't it? He's called wonderful counselor, a baby. Have you ever talked to a baby? Go to, go to an eight month old and try to get tax advice. It's not going to be very helpful. And yet the scripture calls this baby that's to be born our wonderful counselor says he is our mighty God. He ain't strong enough to hold his own head up yet. And yet somehow he is our mighty God. He is our everlasting father. How is the son, the father? How is a a baby that had a birth date? How is the baby eternal? And yet Isaiah says he is. Think about that final title, Prince of Peace. I mean, I'm not a father, okay? But word on the street is families get less peaceful when new babies come along. And yet, (laughs) Isaiah says, when the child comes, people will call him our prince of peace. Now I get it, right? Like some of this comes down to the fact that we had to wait until the little baby grew up and we saw the things that he said and did. We watched his life and his death, then his resurrection over death. All of that leads us to understand how he can be all four of these things. But I think it actually goes a little bit deeper than that. There's a little detail here inside of Isaiah 9, 6. We've already read it a couple of times today. And I think if you really come to understand this, it'll help you to put the puzzle pieces together. The light bulb will come on. How could the baby, how could some guy that lived 2000 years ago on the other side of the planet, how could he be all of these things? Look at Isaiah chapter number nine, verse six. One more time. Two phrases here I want you to focus on. It says, unto us, a child is born and unto us, a son is given. I think these two phrases actually reveal the two aspects of Jesus' identity to us. Because on the one hand, he's a child that is born. He's fully man. Like 
his conception was fairly unique. I'll give you that. But when it came time for the birth, Mary went through what all of you ladies go through. Jesus came into the world as an infant, like having to learn to talk and to walk and like how to even be human in this sense, in his humanity, he is just like us. But the scripture says that he is also a son who is given. That's his divinity. Because who's he the son of? It's not Joseph. Who, who gave him to us? It was God himself. See, Jesus was not just a normal baby that grew up to be a special man. From the very beginning, he was God and man in the flesh. He was God incarnate, made flesh to live and to dwell among us. As Christians, we believe he was fully God and fully man at the same time. That's why the book of Hebrews says we have a high priest that understands what we go through because he had to go through it himself. God's not up in heaven looking down on us. He's like, you guys are so weak. You can't avoid any of those temptations. Jesus was here with us. He lived through it all. The scripture says he was tempted in every way we were tempted, yet he was without sin. Jesus is the bridge between God and man. It is because he is both God and man that he can stand in the gap between me and my creator. He is the one that can forgive my sins. He is the one that can reconcile me to God. He is the one. And it all comes down to the fact that he carries two identities. He is the child that's born and he is the son that is given. That makes him my wonderful counselor. That makes him my mighty God. That makes him my supernatural source of strength, unconditional love and eternal peace. Listen, if you find yourself here this morning, you say, man, these are the sorts of gifts that I need. Or maybe it's one out of the four. You're just like, oh boy, I really need wisdom right now. Or boy, I, I need an extra bit of love in my life. If you find yourself looking or needing for one of those gifts, or maybe even all of them, can I tell you first and foremost, you can't buy them. You're gonna get a lot of great gifts, hopefully this year for Christmas. And they may bring you a little bit of peace, but eventually that thing's gonna break and it's not gonna give you peace anymore. You might feel a little bit of love because your family spent some extra cash, but eventually you're going to kind of forget about it and you're going to be right back to where you're at in terms of love right now. The gifts that we receive here on earth, they can help for a limited amount of time. But if you want limitless, if you want everlasting wisdom and strength and peace and love in your life, they're found in Jesus. You can't, you can't buy them. They come only from Christ. Here's the other truth. You can't order them all a cart. You know, I, I like to online shop and I'll go to Amazon and, uh, you know, I'll just find the things that I want. And I, we can kind of treat these gifts that way. And we say, you know what? I need peace. Yes, Jesus. Add to cart. Give me a little extra piece. But I'll order two. I'll pay the extra shipping. I really need it this year. It's okay. Right? I don't need the other stuff. I don't need you necessarily, Jesus. I just need your peace. Can I say it doesn't work that way? Because the gift is actually not strength, wisdom, love, and peace. The gift is Christ. Amen. And when you receive Jesus, you get all of those and a whole bunch more. He's the gift. These are the bonuses. I don't know if you've ever been given a gift that's like a four-in-one gift. Usually they're terrible. You know what I mean? They do four things badly. You're like, why? Just give me one good thing. <laughs> Jesus is not that way. You get four, you get five, you get eight, you get 10, you get an unlimited number of gifts from him because you receive him in your life. This is why, and I, I just, this will be the last verse I read to you this morning. We'll, we'll be done. Romans chapter number eight, 
verse 32, the apostle Paul says this. He says, since God did not withhold even his own son, but gave him, a son is given, God gave his son, but he gave him for us all. Won't he also, focus on that word also, won't he also give us everything else? We say, oh, I want everything else. That's what I'm after. And God, you're the one who can provide it. No, God is everything else that you're searching for. Jesus is the gift that you've been waiting on. And if you said yes to him, if you welcomed him into your life, accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you would have strength and wisdom and peace and love, forgiveness, hope and joy and all the other things that the scriptures promise to us. So I'm going to invite you, please, where you're at right now, bow your head, close your eyes. And if you say, hey, this is the kind of gift I've been missing. I'm ready to welcome Jesus into my heart today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite you to say a simple prayer. You can say it silently in your own heart. You don't have to say it out loud. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is between you and God. But you might simply say this, dear Jesus, today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for being all of these things the scripture talks about. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me a fresh start. I pray that you would change my life for the better. Help me to live with you each and every day. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, congratulations. This is the beginning of a lifelong journey with Jesus where I started. It's where everybody else does as well. We want to help you as you take your next steps with God. For those of you that maybe like me have already prayed that prayer at some point in the past, can I challenge you and encourage you this Christmas season? Like, man, I I know you're getting ready to rush out of here. You got family get togethers tonight and tomorrow and like Tuesday and Wednesday because, you know, you got that kind of family. I get it. I get it. Can I just challenge you to keep the main thing, the main thing this Christmas? It's okay if the turkey gets burnt. It's okay if you don't get the gifts you want. It's okay if your, you know, niece calls out sick or something like that. In the end, we've already been given the greatest gift. The reason that we celebrate this season is Jesus himself. So just quickly, I want to pray a a blessing over you. God, would you help us to experience your peace and presence this holiday? Help it to be all about you. Help us not to worry about things that are far outside of our control, but instead in our hearts to honor you as Savior, to celebrate you as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our eternal father, and our prince of peace. May this be the most meaningful Christmas we've ever had. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.